And um, as you're turning there, I want to mention to you that um, if you've been paying any attention at all to the uh, news about what is going on in the world in uh, areas like uh, Turkey with the assassination of a Russian ambassador to Turkey this week by a um, Turkish police officer who was uh, a Sunni Muslim uh, and um, then of course the uh, terrorist uh, occurrences, uh, for example, in, um, in Germany at Christmas markets and uh, the heightened uh, securities at these places, as well as here in, in the States, uh, brought to mind that um, the, the connection between Turkey and Russia and Iran is, is a very uh, significant one to keep your eyes on as it pertains to uh, what we'll be studying in a few weeks in the new year when we get to uh, Ezekiel's uh, chapters 38 and 39, uh, the war of Gog and Magog. And uh, I think that we're really studying these these things at a very critical time, that uh, we're seeing certain names being uh, presented in, in, uh, in our daily events, in our current events, that have been written about uh, over thousands of years, and they're coming to pass now. So uh, without going into any greater detail, I, I'm hoping that on the uh, New Year's Eve and New Year's Day uh, message, which will be a prophetic um, update uh, for the year to come, that uh, we'll have even more things to say and more things to be looking out for and more things for us to be letting people know, listen, the things that are happening in the world today were predicted thousands of years ago. And it shows and proves the reliability of the scriptures and uh, people need to realize that uh, if you are going against that in some way, if you're rejecting the truth because you don't want to believe it or whatever, people need to realize that it's still truth. The truth isn't going to change because you believe it or not believe it. The truth is what it is because God has given it to us in his word. So uh, we are to go and let people know, listen, Jesus Christ came and he's coming again. And he said he would come at a time like we see happening in the world today. So I would really encourage you to keep uh, an eye and an ear out. Um, There's some, some good uh, reports that you can find on the Internet. There's also some terrible ones. So, you know, pray about these things. Uh, pray for wisdom and discernment when you look at things. I I know one thing, there, there's things that I'll listen to, then I'll hear something, I'll just say, whoa, this guy's way off the mark, you know. So you want to, uh, you want to be able to grab hold of the, of the truth, and uh, there are some good, uh, good people to listen to out there. So if you have any questions about that, uh, feel free to ask, and I'll, I'll kind of 
aim you in the right direction for that. Okay, Ezekiel uh, 25, let's, uh, let's read the first four verses here as we begin our study tonight. The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against the Ammonites and prophesy against them. And say unto the Ammonites, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, Because thou sayest, Aha! Against my sanctuary when it was profaned, against the land of Israel when it was desolate, and against the house of Judah when they went into captivity. Behold, therefore, I will deliver thee to the men of the east for a possession, and they shall set their palaces in thee, and make their dwellings in thee, and they shall eat thy fruit, and they shall drink thy milk. Now, to review our time in the book of Ezekiel, let's, let's remember that the general theme of this prophecy is the presence and the departure of the glory of God from Israel as given in a vision to the prophet Ezekiel, to be given through his prophetic ministry, not just to the generation in exile in Babylon, because remember Ezekiel was in Babylon, having gone in the second wave of exiles taken to Babylon, but also it was a message given to the generation that were born in exile. And that for the purpose of keeping before them. In other words, keeping them awake and aware and alert uh, concerning the national sins of the whole of Israel, both northern and southern kingdoms, that brought them to their lowest points and eventual captivities in Assyria and Babylon, respectively. The northern kingdom had gone into captivity years before uh, the southern kingdom, they went into captivity against, or I should say, they, they were against the Assyrians, and the Assyrians uh, defeated them and took them into captivity to Assyria, whereas in, in, uh, in the southern kingdom, including Jerusalem, uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians took, uh, defeated uh, Judah and um, the southern kingdom and took them into captivities. Uh, there were actually three uh, waves of, of captives that left. Uh, the, the, the last being the worst, of course, because the city of Jerusalem was then destroyed as well. But now, more specifically, as we're looking at the book of Ezekiel, for 20 chapters, chapters 5 through 24, the Lord, through the prophet, warned his people of the coming judgment because of their wickedness. So God was forthright and stated very uh, uh, strictly Every sin that was committed against him, every rebellious heart, every uh, disobedient thing that was done by the people, the Lord pointed this out. Twenty chapters. We've just finished those twenty chapters the other day. So time and again, the Lord warned Judah of what was coming, giving them time to repent. This is the way the Lord is all the time. He gives warning time for people who are supposed to know better, the time to repent and time to turn from their sins. But they refused to listen. 
And he would even have his prophets act out objects uh, lessons to uh, get their attention. And, and still, even after they would show them these things, they refused to see their sins and they refused to turn back to God. So his judgments were directed toward their priests, toward their princes, which of course represents the religious and the civic leaders of Israel, or in this case of Judah, who turned the temple into a place of idolatry and immorality. In fact, God, in a vision, took Ezekiel all the way to Jerusalem into the temple and then knocked the wall down and had him go into one of the chambers in the temple to see the ugliness and the vileness of their sins because he was revealing their hearts and their minds that were so far from God. They were going through the motions of sacrifices unto God, and then they were doing these other things uh, in worshiping other idols and doing so using all of the, uh, you know, the sensual and the sexual practices that went along with those things, just as the heathens had done. And then their, their, uh, their false prophets uh, were, 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 were then singled out by the Lord, who gave the people a false sense of, of, of security and false peace through their deceptive words and actions. Those false prophets were constantly being, being warned by, by the prophets uh, that their message was, was, uh, was a false one and a deceptive one. So as we enter into a new section of Ezekiel's prophecy, it would be good to consider for a moment a statement made by the Apostle Peter to the church in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. When you read 1 Peter, you, 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 you come to this passage and, and it wakens you up. Because Peter said, for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? If judgment is first in the house of God among those of us that believe and and obey the, the gospel of God, what is it going to be like for those who don't obey the gospel? You have to understand this principle here. He goes on in verse 18 and says, And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? I'm not going to go into great detail about that last statement, you know, but, but let me just say that if the righteous scarcely be saved is not trying to scare people into saying, you know, you got to walk every, you know, line and, 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 and dot every T and cross every I or cross every I and, try, and dot every T or whatever. You know, no, he, he, what he's saying is, listen, this is how it is with salvation. We don't save ourselves. If we are trying to save ourselves, we're, we're going to fail. If those who, who try and, and themselves are scarcely saved, what about those who are ungodly? Where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? See, as we can see, judgment does, does first begin at the house of God, but it doesn't end there. That, that's the point here. Judgment begins with us, but it doesn't end with us. There is much that is yet to come. And the Lord has called us not only to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, but to also warn people that there is judgment to come upon the whole earth. 
and upon every nation, upon every tribe, upon every tongue and people. Listen to what Paul wrote in Romans 1, verses 16 through 18. He said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentile. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. One of the problems that we see today in, 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 the, in the modern church is that we would much rather change the message to, to, to suit the ears of hearers rather than to give them the straight truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and give them the straight truth of the word of God that God never changes, that he has given us laws and commandments to follow and realizing that we can't follow them, we must turn to Jesus Christ who has fulfilled the law on our behalf by dying on a cross for the sake of our sins, for us, shedding his blood for the forgiveness of our sins, dying, being buried, and then rising on the third day uh, to conquer sin and death on our behalf. So that's the gospel that never changes. But we want, we want to reach generations, you know, that, and, and, and we should. I mean, we should, uh, we should uh, reach them and, and, and uh, you know, I, I don't know much of the language of, of young people other than to say that, you know, most, most of it is with letters, you know, like OMG and LOL and, you know, and stuff like that. And, uh, but uh, what doesn't change is the message of the gospel. And what doesn't change is the way that you come to Christ. What doesn't change is what has to happen to a person to enter into eternal life. And all of that has to be found in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ from Genesis to Revelation. So what I'm, what I'm saying is here is that, that what, what Peter stated about if, if judgment first begins with us, then what's it going to be like for those who don't obey the gospel? Well, that same principle, you see, is what we see happening here in, verse 20, in chapter 25 of Ezekiel. Because what we're discovering in this first passage here of, of, of chapters 25 through 32, because this is the next section, that is judgments against nations. The world never holds back its mockery and ridicule against believers, especially those who have taken falls due to, their, due, due to sin. The world attacks those who have fallen and attacks them hard. And sometimes even in the church. People who don't have any compassion for those who have fallen, whereas we're, you know, we're sometimes we, we all have that, that potential. You know, we, we judge sometimes as if we never sinned. But the world does that all the time. And the point is that the world never holds back its mockery, and it never holds back its ridicule against believers who have taken those falls. And certainly the Lord will bring his discipline and correction to his people. You know, he will bring his, his Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin, doesn't he? He does get us where we need it, where he, you know, where we need him. But for the unbeliever, they also need to understand that our God is faithful concerning his judgments directed toward all people, both believer and unbeliever. 
So consider there's two things that we find in the New Testament that, that are of, of, of utmost importance to understand about how God deals with judgments to believers and judgments to non-believers. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for example, and, and there's a little bit of reading that you need to do in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where it talks about, uh, you know, certain things that are given to us like uh, gold, silver, precious jewels, uh, wood, hay, and stubble, uh, you know, on, on the building of our foundation of our lives. Well, we can tie that in later. But in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 10 and 11, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now remember, Paul is speaking to the church. So he's speaking to believers and he says, For all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. So things have to be judged. Everything we've ever done has, is going to be judged. But then he says, Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. In other words, we want people to know that if the judgment is on us, just like, like Peter said, judgment first begins with us. And we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, which, by the way, believers will not lose their salvation before the judgment seat of Christ. Let's remember that. We are standing there uh, to, to be purified in, 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 into, into the, the eternal life that Jesus has, has promised us. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, some kind of intermediary place between here and heaven. No. It's the judgment seat of Christ that all of us will go through as we go into heaven. So, so please understand that. But he says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade man. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciousness. So he says, listen, knowing the terror of the Lord, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and we're going to go to heaven. But we're going to be judged for the things we've done, good or bad. Because that's the way it has to be. Yet, how much greater is the judgment going to be for the, the unbeliever? Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, hey, come to Christ. And, and your sins will be judged on the cross of Jesus Christ. Better there than this next passage in Revelation 20. In Revelation 20, that describes the great white throne judgment of God. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's, that's, that's pretty much uh, terror, isn't it? The terror of the Lord. Listen, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Because if you stand before the white, <coughs> excuse me, the white, uh, great white throne judgment of God, you're standing there because you did not receive the gospel. You did not receive Jesus Christ. You did not receive salvation. You did not receive eternal life. You rejected it. In other words, if you didn't receive it, you rejected it. And remember that God will always judge righteously. There won't be anybody standing before, between the great white throne judgment and saying, you know, I'm at the wrong one. 
I should have been at the other one. No, no, no. If you're there, you're there because you rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you did not receive the love of the truth. As it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Did not receive the love of the truth. <clears throat> so with that in mind, see, if, 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 if Israel, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, could not escape God's judgment, how could the other nations of the world who refused to believe in him and obey his holy commandments. How could they escape? So this series of messages in chapters 25 through, continuing on through chapter 32, answers that question. And even though Ezekiel's messages focus on the nation surrounding Israel, they also apply to all unbelieving nations of the world. So let's get to our text. Let's go back to verses 1 through 4. Now, we read it earlier, but now we read it with a little bit more understanding. The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against the Ammonites, and prophesy against them. And say unto the Ammonites, Hear the word of the Lord. Now, the Ammonites would never have listened to the word of God because they didn't believe in the God of Abraham. But now they're being told by the prophet, You listen to the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, God. Thus saith the Lord God, because thou sayest, Aha, look at that against my sanctuary, when it was profaned. Aha, against the land of Israel, when it was desolate. And against the house of Judah, when they went into captivity. Behold, therefore, I will deliver thee because of your attitude against my people and my sanctuary and all of these things. Behold, therefore, I will deliver thee to the men of the east for a possession. And they shall set their palaces in thee and make their dwellings in thee. They shall eat thy fruit and they shall drink thy milk. Now, very quickly here, what's going to happen to Ammon is they're going to be affected by, by the judgment that's coming to, to Judah and Jerusalem from the Babylonians. They're going to be affected by that and they're going to get hit by them too. Because we know that the Babylonians came from the east. But this also represents the fact that when their land becomes desolate, so will the nomadic tribes come back into their land and, and, and take everything that they left because they, they were being judged by God. So keep, keep that in mind. So it's important to remember why the Ammonites, who the Ammonites are, and, and why this judgment is the way it is for them. Well, first of all, remember that the Ammonites were descendants of Lot, the nephew of Abraham. And they were descendants of Lot through Lot's son, Ben-Ami, by his younger daughter. You may also remember that this union occurred after the devastating destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. They had, they had gone into a, a place that, uh, you know, to get away from Sodom. If you remember, Lot's wife had turned around and she was turned into a pillar of salt because she didn't obey the Lord in that respect. So they end up going up into, into, the, into the hills and mountains. And, and, and then it says in verse 35 of Genesis 19, just so you'll get a picture of who these Ammonites are. It says, they made their father drink. This is two daughters of Lot. The two, an, older, an older daughter and a younger daughter. So they made their father drink wine that night also, and, and the younger arose, the younger daughter, and lay with him. And he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. 
And thus were both the daughters of Lot with child by their father. The firstborn bare a son and called his name Moab. We'll get to Moab in just a minute. The same is the father of the Moabites unto this day. Verse 38. And the younger, she also bare a son and called his name Benami. The same is the father of the children of Ammon unto this day. So that's where we see the Ammonites begin. These incestuous acts are considered by some to be the rebirth of Sodom in the hearts of these women. And that in such a very short time, after Sodom's destruction, proving the influence of Sodom upon these daughters of, 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 uh, of Lot. They were daughters of Lot, but they became daughters of Sodom. In the way that they approached the fact that they said, well, you know, no one's, no one's going to be alive on the earth. The only one that's alive that could give us children is, is our own father. So this is what they uh, made, made, you know, they, they, they planned this all out. Now, Benami means son of my people or son of my kinsmen. And as verse 38 says, this Benami is the father of the children of Ammon unto this day. So both the the Moabites, who we'll meet in just a moment, and the Ammonites would become bitter enemies of Israel, though they were in fact family. How do we know that? Because Lot's uncle was Abraham. And Abraham would become the father of many nations, but he would become primarily the father of Israel because he is called the father, well, he's the father of Isaac, who is the father of Yaakov, or Jacob, who becomes Israel. Now the people of Ammon, during the time that Judah and Jerusalem were being devastated by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, the people of Ammon were rejoicing when Jerusalem fell. This is very similar, folks, to what happened on 9-11, when in, in various uh, Muslim countries, people were having parties outside and rejoicing when the towers had fallen. It happens in these same countries whenever there's some kind of devastating thing that happens, uh, bombs sent into Israel, like during the, uh, during the Gulf War. And any time there's a, some kind of, 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 of terror attack of, of some sort, People are rejoicing. Palestinians, you know, if they hear that there's, there's certain Jewish people just across the border from them, wherever they are, in the West Bank or in Gaza, and they, they kill a, a few uh, Jewish people or settlers or whatever, or soldiers, you know, they, they rejoice in the streets. You don't think God's gonna, not going to judge that? If we see what he's going to do to Ammon because they were rejoicing and shouting when the people were taken into captivity. And they were rejoicing when the temple was destroyed. Aha! Good for them. They deserve that, right? And because this was their attitude, what happened to Judah would happen to them. Ezekiel had already prophesied against Ammon back in chapter 21. When you get a chance, go back to chapter 21 and read that chapter. But it was now heading the list. Uh, Ammon was heading the list of nations bound for judgment by the Lord. 
They continued their hostilities throughout the times of the judges. Now this going back in history, you know, going all the way back to the beginning of the Ammonites, uh, then during the time of the judges, the Ammonites had grown into a nation of people. Uh, King Saul would fight the Ammonites to rescue uh, Jabesh Gilead in 1 Samuel chapter 11. David would conquer the Ammonites in 1 Chronicles chapters 19 and 20. These you can read yourself. But it was in the time of Jehoshaphat's reign that the Moabites and the Edomites, and they're called there the people from Mount Seir, and we'll talk about them in just a moment as well. But the Moabites and the Edomites were joined by the Ammonites to attack Judah in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. But we know that that was unsuccessful. We know that Jehoshaphat went before God in, in, in great fear because three, these three nations were surrounding Judah. And, and Jehoshaphat fell on his face and cried out unto God, for guidance, for direction, for wisdom, for, for help. And God, through a prophet, spoke to Jehoshaphat and told Jehoshaphat, this is what you do. You're not going to fight these armies. But what you're going to do is you're going to set the, you're going to set the praise team, the worship team, out in front of the army. And you're going to praise me. And you're going to sing praises unto me. And when they did that, the three armies defeated each other. They attacked each other and they defeated each other. And God was telling them, you don't have to fight. The battle is mine, saith the Lord. The battle is mine. Makes you wonder about the importance of praise. Makes you wonder about the importance of praise when you're facing troubles and trials in your life. Or when certain issues are coming up in your life when you, you, know, you just don't understand, you can't figure out what's going on. Why are these, these things happening? Why are these attacks happening? But you go to the Lord, you fall on your face and you say, Lord God, help. Simply help. Give me wisdom. Give me understanding. Lord, purify my mind, purify my heart. If it's me, get, get, get me out of the way. But Lord, I need your help. And if we don't praise him, we may never see that help. Not that God is holding back, but the fact of the matter is, what are we doing? How are we approaching the throne of God in the times of our troubles? Getting back to Ammon, the, the Ammonites would eventually side with Nebuchadnezzar. They were still around. They were defeated, but they, they were still around. They would eventually side with Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians to try to gain territory after Jehoiakim's failed revolt against Babylon. This was back before 593. And in 593 BC, Ammon and Judah were forced to unite with Tyre against Babylon. They didn't want to be together. I mean, these were enemies, you know, kind of dealing again with, 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 with Nebuchadnezzar. 
But when Nebuchadnezzar attacked Judah and not Ammon, you know, the Ammonites were relieved to have been spared, but instead of coming to Judah's aid, Ammon rejoiced over Judah's calamity, still wanting to profit from Judah's destruction and defeat. So the Lord said, no, your land is, is going to be judged. Your people are going to be judged. And just as Judah went into captivity, and Judah had to feel the brunt of my judgment through Babylon, your land is going to be taken over. And people are going to come from the east, they're going to take over their land, they're going to have their, their palaces, your palaces are going to be theirs. Your food is going to be theirs. Your milk is going to be theirs. And God would judge them. The judgment goes on in verses 5 through 7 of Ezekiel 25. And I will make Rabbah a stable for camels. Rabbah was their capital, the capital of Ammon. I will make Rabbah a stable for camels and the Ammonites a couching place for flocks. And you shall know that I am the Lord. For thus saith the Lord God, because thou hast clapped thy hands and stamped with the feet and rejoiced in heart with all thy dis, uh, despite against the land of Israel. Behold, therefore, I will stretch out my hand upon thee and I will deliver thee for a spoil to the heathen and I will cut thee off from the people and I will cause thee to perish out of the countries. I will destroy thee and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. There's a pattern that we find here in verses 6, 7, and 8. Or verses 6 and 7, I should say. And verse 6 is the word because. Because you have done these things. The second word is therefore. Therefore, I will stretch out my hand against thee. And then the, the next phrase is, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Because you've done this, Therefore, I will do that, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Three things. Those are stated twice in, in, this, in this chapter. And you'll see it again. Or, you, or actually, we've, we've already kind of seen it before. You know, if we go back to, you know, that first uh, verse 3, because thou sayest these things. Verse 4, therefore, I will deliver thee to the men of the east. And then he says, you know, and then... He says, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So let's first look at the application for us today about all of these things. How can all of this apply to us? Well, there are a couple of simple thoughts to remember. A couple of simple thoughts to remember. First of all, you will never move up when you put others down. You will never move up when you put others down. What were the Ammonites doing? But they were putting down the people of Judah. They were laughing at them. They were mocking at them. They were scorning at them. They were saying, look, you can't even maintain the temple. Look at the temple destroyed. Look at, look at the way that, uh, you know, you are being defeated and, and the walls of Jerusalem are being torn down. When you put people down, you're not going to move up. With God. With God. 
And the second thing to remember is you will never get ahead when you try to get even. What, is, what was Ammon always trying to do? They were trying to get even with, with Judah because of what? Because of uh, things that have happened in the past. You see, as God's people, our responsibility is to love people as much as they are willing to allow us to love them. And letting God take care of the rest. Some people just won't accept our love, but we are still to love them. Love those, what did, what did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Love those who hate you. Love those who persecute you. Bless them. Now that is, that's a totally different kind of attitude than we see happening in the world today. I mean, I, I mean I'm, I'm burdened when you know, I, I look at the news today and, I, and I'm thinking, you know, that there are still people today that are just not accepting anything that has happened in this, this past election this last month that took place in November. Not accepting anything. What, what are they going to do? You know, the political scene goes up and down. I mean, let's face it. But the, the, this is this is just a. a I mean, it's 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 a ridiculous, ridiculous situation that we've seen over the past year and all of the the campaigning as well as the the election and and even following it. This is the reason why I said not long ago, I said, listen, God's still in control. He, he knows the beginning from the end. So, man, that's the person we need. That, that's the one that we need to stay with. We need to stay in God and in Christ and in his word. we got to stay there because we know he's in control. Because this world is definitely not. I mean, this, this, this is a crazy, I mean, this, this world's upside down. So we're, we're, we're just, to, we're to love people. We look at what, what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. It was like, man, it's, it's, it, if we do what Jesus says, we're going to turn the world right side up. In fact, the disciples did that after, uh, in the book of Acts, uh, the, the, the people of the, of the body of Christ then were the ones that were turning the world upside down because they were bringing people to the light of the glory of Christ. That's what we have to continue to do. So it's imperative that vengeance belongs to God, not to us. Right? Isn't that what it says in the book of Deuteronomy? God says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. It's not, it doesn't belong to us. In fact, Paul will take that statement, and, and then in Romans chapter 12, verses 17 to 21, Paul says, recompense to no man evil for evil. Don't pay anyone back evil for evil. Someone throws a, a, a pie at you in the face, lick it, man, and enjoy it, I guess. But don't go around looking for a pie to throw in their face. Well, don't, well, don't look if it's, it's shaving cream. It's a little different. It doesn't taste so good. The point is, recompense to no man evil for evil. Don't pay back. What did Jesus say? Turn the other cheek. Paul says, provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. Have we had to get to that point sometimes? I mean, you know, neighbor's tree hangs over into your yard and breaks off and they, they, you know, they don't do anything to help you pick it up or whatever. 
You just go and pick it up. You know, I'm sorry. You know, I just I remember what happened to you. Poor Robert has a tree on his house. Uh, pray for him. But um, live peaceably with all men. Verse 19 says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. I mean, that's, to the world, that's wacky. Wacky theology. But what Paul is teaching us is what Jesus taught us. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Do you know where I've seen this happen more than any place else? In Israel. Time and again I have seen them feed their enemy care for their enemy in their own hospitals without them having to pay. The very same people that would bomb them. And I'm not saying that they heard the Sermon on the Mount or that they listened to the Apostle Paul because they they don't believe in Jesus, but that came from their understanding of the Word of God. If he thirsts, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Now, you misinterpret that if, if, you, if you think that uh, we're just going to, you know, we'll do real nice and then boom, you know, we'll get him, you know, with coals. You know what that means? That's an extra blessing. It's like blessing. They, 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 they would actually carry these coals, you know, from place to place like they carry water. What you're giving them is something that they need for their everyday Meals for their heat, for their warmth. Coals to start another fire in their homes to help them. This is the gospel. And then he says, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. That's what we are supposed to do as believers in Jesus Christ. Well, let's get back because we got, we got ways to go here. Rabah was mentioned earlier, was, it was the capital of the Ammonites. And although it was made a, a wasteland in an area that would be inhabited by nomadic tribes because of its destruction by the Babylonians, the city is still, by the way, in existence today. And, and the, the, the name of the city is Amman. Amman. Which is the capital of the nation, the, the modern nation of Jordan. It is on the other side of, of the uh, Dead Sea. Um, there in southern Israel. There is a pattern given in this passage, as I said before, verses 3 to 7, that cannot be passed up. It's because, therefore, you will know. Uh, Remember that pattern. It's an important one. When God gives his his, uh, judgments, because you did this, therefore I will do this, and know that I am the Lord. So God is giving witness and testimony of himself. So it's also found in the next phrase, verses 8 through 11. Let's, let's read on, because now we're going to deal with Moab and, see, and Seir. Thus saith the Lord God, Because that Moab and Seir do say, Behold, the house of Judah is like unto all the heathen. And notice Moab and Seir say it, but the, the judgment here is for the Moabites. 
Therefore, behold, I will open the side of Moab from the cities, from his cities which are on the frontiers, the glory of, of the country, Beth Yeshimot, Baalmeon, and Kiriathaim, unto the men of the east with the Ammonites, and will give them in possession that the Ammonites may not be remembered among the nations. And I will execute judgments upon Moab, and they shall know that I am the Lord. So there again is that pattern, because you did this, therefore I will do this, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Now the Moabites occupied the land to the south of the Arnon River on the east side of the Dead Sea. Now they were also related to the Jews through Abraham's nephew Lot's older daughter. That was the other daughter. Talked about her already. They also had no love for the Jewish people, even though they were aware that they were family. Now, mentioned along with the Moabites are the inhabitants of Seir, which is really speaking of the Edomites, but, but this, is, this would be just a portion that were on, on, on the mountain of Seir, uh, even though they were Edomites, they were connected more with, with, with uh, Moab, and so it's speaking of, of those Edomites, uh, but we'll deal with them in just a little bit. But these seem to enjoy putting Judah and Israel down. Now, they not only rejoiced at Judah's calamities, but they also declared. Now, what God is telling them is they were declaring that Judah's God was no different than the other gods from the other nations. That's what they were saying. And in effect, that's what a lot of people are saying today. Those who are not believers in Jesus Christ, those who may be atheists or agnostics, or those who are, you know... uh, religiously liberal or progressive in some sort of way, weird way, whether they call themselves Christians or not. But either way, what they're saying is that Judah's God is no different than other gods from other nations. Uh, they They were saying that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was just another local deity that God defeated. See, once once something happens because of sin upon a nation, for example, a nation that holds to to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as being their God. Then they, they say, if, God, if, if you're defeated, then your God is defeated, and therefore he's only a local deity. That's what they were saying about this God. But the Lord judged them to show them that they, there is only one true and living God. And so they shall know that I am the Lord. Because you say that I'm just a God like everybody else, therefore I'm going to judge you, and then you will know that I am not like all the other gods you will know that I am the Lord God, the one and the only. So now we're getting a little closer to home here because more and more we are hearing in this day and age of emerging churches and, and churches that are trying to, you know, kind of look impressive on the outside and, and kind of impress people to say, well, you know, uh, the word of God is, is it's important, but it's, you know, we, we don't, count on on just reading that because you know some people they just worship the bible those people at calvary chapel you know all they do is worship the bible and they you know they just hold it up well you know we don't worship the bible we worship jesus christ we worship the the god who created the heavens and the earth you know we we worship the triune god we we do so because the word of god tells us that we are to do so and god said this is my word and my word is a lamp unto your feet and a light to my uh, a light to your path. It, it is it is what what shows you who I am. 
So they, they have this, 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 this outlook now. They're looking for some points of similarities with world religions, with it, whether they're pseudo-Christian or, or completely non-Christian. You know what we hear sometimes? It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe in something. Is, has anybody ever found that in the Bible? You know that phrase? It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe in something. I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. It's almost like saying God loves God helps those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible either. I bet you you've all heard this. All roads lead to God. You heard that? We've all heard that. All roads lead to God. I've heard that. You know, people sound they, they really feel like they sound real theological. All roads lead to God. No, they don't. Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the only way, the only truth, the only life. If you want to get to the Father, you've got to come through me. That's the only road there is. Jesus said, there's a broad road that leads to destruction, and there's a narrow road that leads to life. And he is the narrow road. Because he's the only road. All roads lead to God. No, they don't. The Lord is saying, not so. We're told in verse 9, if you look at verse 9, that God is going to open the side of Moab. Do you see that? Translated a little differently than King James. King James says, I will open the side of Moab, suggesting strongly that he is going to tear into them and show them that there is only one true God. So let's not, let's not fall prey to this ecumenical teaching that is taking place today where, you know, the teaching that is trying to unite people outside of the person and work of Jesus Christ and outside of the very truth of the word of God itself. Speaking of a God does not necessarily mean that it is the God of the Bible. Speaking of a God does not necessarily mean that they're speaking of the God of the Bible. But it is God who's going to judge that. God is going to judge that and we will judge it in, in one respect. You shall know them by what? You shall know them by the truth. You shall know them by their fruit. What is the fruit of a person's life? What is the fruit of what they're saying about God? God will judge. What we need to remember is what it says in Isaiah 43, verses 10 to 13. that says, you are my witnesses, saith the Lord. Well, if we're going around saying it doesn't matter what you believe, or if we're only going around saying all roads lead to God, or there are many ways to God, and there are many gods that, you know, there are many gods and a lot of different, uh, you know, persons that we can say is, uh, you know, there's a God a manifestation or a God spirit or a God this or a God that. No, no, no. What we need to understand is what God is saying about himself. You are my witnesses, saith the Lord. How can you be a witness if you don't know the God who is saying you're my witnesses? 
So he says, you're my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Now remember, I am he. I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I have declared and I have saved and I have showed when there was no strange God among you. Therefore you are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. Yea, before that day it was, I am he, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work, and who shall let it? I will work. So, God is going to judge those who say that God is just like any other God. Which means that they're saying, well, there must be many more gods than just one. God says of himself, there's only one God. There's only one God. And when we honor Jesus Christ, when we honor Yeshua, who who says, I am, before Abraham was, I am. And Paul says he was the creator. He was from the beginning. And John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory is of the only begotten Son of the Father. Then we're, we're acknowledging the one God in three persons. We're acknowledging the God who also says that His Spirit is, is, is a manifestation, but it is... Uh, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. But yet there's only one God. So God is saying he's going to judge that. Primarily upon Moab and Seir, but also on all those who would just make the one true God a common God like any, any other God that there may be. All right, so as we go on comes a ju- the announcement of judgment upon Edom. Verses 12 through 14. Thus saith the Lord God, because that Edom hath dealt against the house of Judah by taking vengeance and hath greatly offended and revenged himself upon them, therefore thus saith the Lord God. So there is the because and the therefore. I will stretch out, or I will also stretch out my hand upon Edom and will cut off man and beast from it. And I will make it desolate from Teman, which is which is in the land of Edom, and they of Dedan, or Dedan, shall fall by the sword. Dedan is actually way south and in Arabia. So anytime you see Dedan in the scriptures, we're talking about northern Arabia, northern Arabian Peninsula. And I will lay my vengeance upon Edom by the hand of my people Israel, and they shall do in Edom according to mine anger and according to my fury, and they shall know that They shall know my vengeance, saith the Lord God. So as for the Edomites, they occupied the area to the south of the Dead Sea, south of Moab, and they too were family. Because the Edomites came out of Esau, who was the brother of Jacob. And if you remember, Esau did not love Jacob. (laughs) Well, Jacob stole his his birthright, but uh, nonetheless, Esau did not love Jacob. In fact, he more than despised his brother. The hatred continued on through many, many generations. And there, of course, were times when the Edomites would would take advantage of Israel when they were down. 
They more than likely saw this as a vengeance, possibly uh, for what Jacob had done many years earlier to his brother Esau. It is possible that they never let that go. And that bitterness grew and was manifested in their actions. And again, what would the application be for us today? Well, we can allow bitterness to grow inside of us. And it will finally be manifested in our actions. If we let bitterness grow inside of us, we will finally let it be manifested in the things that we do. Bitterness will come out, folks. Bitterness will come out. We may try to avenge the wrong that was done to us or the wrong that we think was done toward us, but that isn't what the Lord desires of us. In fact, God told the Edomites that they poured out their vengeance on Israel and he will pour out his vengeance on them. If they were uh, vengeful toward Israel, God says, well, then I'm going to judge you the same way. Because we're told, listen, listen what we're told, how, how we're to live. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15, notice what Paul says. He says, follow peace with all men. It comes back to what we've read earlier even. Follow peace with all men. And holiness without which no man can, shall see the Lord. So we follow peace with all men and holiness because without, the, without holiness we won't see the Lord. Our life has to be different. Our lifestyle has to be different than the world. Looking diligently, it says, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Bitterness in your heart will defile you. You'll stop reading the Bible. You'll stop going to church. You'll start hating things rather than looking for things to, to love and things to serve in the, in the, in the, in the Christ-like way. You'll stop. That's what bitterness does. Bitterness becomes us blaming God for things. Blaming others for attitudes, blaming others for actions. You know, all you can do if somebody's bitter against you is pray for them. If they're not willing to talk to you, pray for them. If they're not willing to meet with someone and, as a mediator with you, pray for them. But folks, bitterness will eat you up. It will eat you alive. And the scriptures are, are, are bearing that out. So it appears pretty clear. If you are angry or bitter, give that anger and bitterness to the Lord before it gets the better of you. Before it gets the better of you. Lastly, judgments are directed toward the Philistines. And we think, wow, we hadn't heard of the Philistines in a long, long time. Well, they were still around. Verse 15, it says of Ezekiel 25, Thus saith the Lord God, Because the Philistines have dealt by revenge and have taken vengeance with a despiteful heart to destroy it for the old hatred. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will stretch out my hand upon the Philistines and I will cut off 
the Cherethims and destroy the remnant of the seacoast. And I will execute great vengeance upon them with furious rebukes, and they shall know that I am the Lord when I shall lay my vengeance upon them. Verse 15, because, verse 16, therefore, verse 17, they shall know that I am the Lord. The Philistines occupied the land along the Mediterranean Sea in, a, in an area that we now know as the Gaza Strip. It seems that Israel's enemies have yet to leave the land. But these Philistines were the perennial enemies of the Jews, carrying bitter hatred toward them. You know, there's a wordplay here because if you remember uh, to, uh, to unnerve the, the, the Jewish people after the Romans had, uh, you know, had come down on them and their revolts all the way into 116 AD and all. Uh, Hadrian, I believe it was, uh, was, the, was the emperor that, uh, that actually called the land Palestina. Palestina, which is where we get the word Palestine from. And, uh, but it was a, it was a, it was a mocking uh, a term against the Jews because Palestina comes from the word that, that we get the word Philistine from. So when you think about it today, we have a nation, we have a, a, a bunch of people who claim to be Palestinians, and uh, they're wanting land, and they want they, they want the land that Israel has, and they're trying to claim it for themselves. But there is no real Palestinian people. But what they have is the they have the heart and the attitude of the Philistine people, and they still are against the uh, the Israelites or the Israelis. They're against them, and they're attacking them all the time, and yet they want their land. They want them dead. And it's, 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 it's that same bitterness. It's carried over into this day and time. They were the, the perennial enemies of the Jews, the Philistines, carrying bitter hatred toward them, and, all, and for all that was done to them, all the defeats that the Philistines had encountered by the Jews' by the Jews' hands. I mean, go back to David and, and Goliath. What a stand that was. Well, since then, they were, they were going to get back at them with a vengeance. And the Lord says, no, not so. His vengeance would, in fact, be poured out on them. And they would know that he is the Lord. Bitterness and all hatred that is mentioned in our text are some things that we refuse to let go of sometimes. And it can destroy people. Consider Paul's exhortation in Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. But now you also put off all these. Paul says, put these things off. In other words, if you've got this garment of anger or wrath or malice or blasphemy or filthy communication out of your mouth, take that garment off. Cast it away from you. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Put on the new man. We're different, folks. We're to be different people than the world. The world, the list that are given by Paul many times, that's the list of what the world does each and every day of their lives. But sometimes, you know, people in the world, you know, they've learned some morals and stuff. You know, sometimes they're good people. 
But if they don't know Jesus, that good's not going to do them any good. Their morals are not going to do them any good. Because you're not saved by what you do. You're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So we have to put on the new man if we're believers in Jesus Christ. 1 John 4, verses 17 to 21. It says, Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. As who is? As God is. As Christ is. So are we. But it's all based upon his love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has torment. He that feareth is not made perfect or complete in love. And notice what it says. We love him because he first loved us. If any man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. So how different we are to be. I mean, these are some great principles that we can take with us and learn from the mistakes of others so we don't fall into those same mistakes. But if we happen to, we can repent. We can get right with the Lord again. You do know that. We can get right with God. 1 John 1, 9, I'll close with this. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't we have a great God who loves us? Because He knows us. He knows what we're made of. He knows because He fashioned us. And if we let him, he fashions us more and more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. And what is the image of Christ? But the love of Christ. The humility of Christ. The selflessness of Christ. The confidence of Christ in his Father, in his word, in the Spirit the confidence that we're to have each and every day of our lives. This is just the beginning of the judgments of nations here. It's, it's, it's going to intensify, certainly. But I wanted to take the time to take the applications of all of these things and, and just... Be able to apply them today and, and realize that in a few days we have a new year. We always tend to use that as, as some kind of a starting point. But you don't have to wait, you know, for a, a week and a half. You can start right now. Start by laying your heart before the Lord by remembering the fact that, that there, there's really only one God and he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. And that he, Jesus himself after he rose from the dead and, and before he, you know, uh, 
you know, ascended, gave the promise to his disciples that, that they would receive the promise of the Father, which was the outpouring, the baptism, the blessing of the Holy Spirit, to say, I'll be with you. If you're, if you're one of mine, I'll be with you. And I'm not only going to be with you, but I'll be upon you and I will be in you. That doesn't make us God, but it certainly heightens the responsibilities that we have because we belong to him. So I'd say that that's important to find out from the word of God how we are to live our lives as we see the day of Jesus Christ approaching. And from how we started today, talking about the fact that you know, things are happening in the world. And then Jesus said, when these things start to happen, you start looking up because your redemption draws near. And I'll tell you right now, Jesus can come at any moment. We don't need to know what's going to happen with Russia and, and Iran and, and, and Turkey. He can come tonight. That is the imminency of the coming of Jesus Christ. It can happen at any moment. Nothing else has to happen for Jesus to come and take his church home. So keep looking up. Keep looking in and keep reaching out.